Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. A very good morning. On this morning's morning shot, Singaporeans living abroad might soon be able to vote by post in future elections if proposed changes to two sets of electoral laws are passed. Tabled in Parliament yesterday, the Presidential Elections Bill and the Parliamentary Elections Bill include changes to voting arrangements, election advertising and expenses and the election process. That's right. The Elections Department had announced plans for postal voting last May with intentions for it to be rolled out in time for the next presidential election that's due by September. For an analysis of the proposed changes, we're joined on the line now by Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law at Singapore Management University. Good morning, Eugene. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you with us this Tuesday. So let's talk about these changes. If the newly tabled law goes through, overseas Singaporeans will no longer need to travel to physically poll at stations which are located in specific cities. A long overdue move, in your opinion? I think it's better late you know, than never. I think there was always a concern about the election integrity process, you know, when we talk about uh, postal ballots or even uh, e-voting. But I think the pandemic has in a way demonstrated to the elections department, um, you know, that mm. it is important, you know, to look at how we could ensure Singaporeans overseas, um, you know, could vote. Uh, after all, you know, the ability to vote in elections, you know, is an important part of one's uh, duties, as, right. uh, one's duty as a citizen. Uh, and, and considering the about 200,000 Singaporeans abroad, uh, I think that will certainly enfranchise, you know, a lot more Singaporeans when it comes to the electoral process. Now, convenient, yes, but um, to ensure the votes are legit, do you see any foreseeable challenges in terms of processes? For example, cross-checking identity and avoiding duplicates? Oh, oh, definitely, right? Mm. And I think that this is where, you know, there were those prior concerns that made the ELD in the past only have in place in-person voting, uh, you know, for both domestic as well as overseas voting. Um, so I think here, you know, they have put in measures. Um, so again, you know, we are all familiar with, um, you know, the use of SingPass, you know, to authenticate our identities. Um, you know, so I think here, uh, you know, with the availability of SingPass, you know, an overseas voter would be able to download, uh, you know, the postal ballot paper, uh, as well as a return envelope. And I think that there will be the use of QR codes as well. So there will be all these measures, you know, that there will be put in place, uh, including wet ink signature, verification against a wet ink signature and all. So I think the measures are robust. And, and I think that has to be because once a process is infected by concerns of, you know, manipulation mm-hmm. or, or tampering of, of ballots, uh, then I think that will do um, you know, a lot of damage. Eugene, speaking of tech, when it comes to the elections, we've got to talk about uh, social media, right? And the amplification of existing online advertising. That's going to be subject to the same requirements as publishing of new ads. This includes boosting, sharing, resharing, or even posting. Can you help us understand why this is important at this point? Well, I think one we must remember that uh, election advertising is certainly critical uh, Mm -hmm. in an election. Voters need to know 
the platforms of the various political parties as well as, as the candidates. So I think the issue is not why advertise, but how to advertise you know, mm-hmm. in, in a way that would maintain the fundamentals of a free and fair election, as well as voters making informed choices. So when we talk about you know, this concern about boosting, sharing, resharing or reposting election advertising, uh, one has been commonly referred to as amplification of uh, election advertising. Yeah. I think what amplification does is to enable the advertisement to, to reach out to even more uh, voters. Uh, and, and if you think about the impact, I think one could argue that the amplification actually possesses perhaps even stronger reach than the original content. So I think here, you know, there's a recognition that there was a gap. And so uh, the same rules would have to apply to both uh, fresh or original election advertising as well as election advertising that is being shared, um, mm. you know, reposted and all. Um, so, so I think here there's a recognition that there is a gap that must be dealt with. And I think that's important. Eugene, we were talking with Ryan about this offline before the interview went live. And that is what impact this has on cooling off day, because typically that's a day. And obviously, social media changes the game quite a bit, doesn't it? It does. I, you know, and I think this is where you know, election officials, political uh, parties and candidates are still grappling with you know, mm. um, what can be done, you know, how to mobilise social media, you know, as effectively yeah. as possible. And so the question of cooling off day, um, you know, I think certainly, um, you know, candidates and political parties, you know, would not be able to continue with their advertising. Uh, but I think you and I as, you know, private citizens in our private capacities, personal capacities, um, I don't think there's any issue with, um, you know, sharing election advertisement, uh, you know, un- unless you are an influencer, you know, and you may have mm-hmm. been directed to or you are receiving mm-hmm. a payment, whether in money or in kind, uh, then that would be caught uh, by the election rules. Eugene, if the laws governing online election ads are breached, now we have now the corrective power that returning officers will be given to direct any content publisher, including individuals, social media companies, to take down content. How is this different from POFMA, or specifically Protection from Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Act? And what's the most efficient way to manage this you know, in this day and age? Yes, I, I think that provision certainly will give rise to concerns among some MPs. And I think it's important for us to recognise the uh, virality as well as the virility of uh, online election advertising. You know, so when we look at this corrective directions, um, you know, I look at them more as uh, remedial powers of the returning officer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and these powers must be equally swift, um, you know, to ensure that the election process is not brought into uh, disrepute. So I think when we look at, uh, you know, the corrective directions, right, which would enable the returning officer to remove, uh, disable access mm-hmm. or reduce access, you know, to election advertising, I see them as being necessary. But I think there will be safeguards, you know, to ensure that the returning officers uh, have a justification, uh, that there must be a justification before they can use their corrective powers And I think one could say that, you know, election advertising, which is false, uh, you know, prejudicial to good order, I think we we, we probably would have no difficulty agreeing, you know, that this types of of election advertising have no place. Um, So I think here it it is perhaps an attempt to give the returning officer, um, you know, the powers, the discretionary powers, you know, that, and that these powers have to mm-hmm. evolve with the nature of election advertising and how quickly, mm. uh, you know, they can spread. 
We're speaking with Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law at Singapore Management University. Shifting gears now, Eugene, and looking ahead to the presidential election, it's due no later than the 13th of September. What kind of president do you think, or what kind of candidates do you think we can expect this year and that Singaporeans will be looking out for? Well, I, I think first and foremost, you know, Singaporeans would certainly want to have a, a president who will carry out his or her duties mm-hmm. uh, without fear or favour. Um, so I think when we look at the custodial powers, you know, such as, uh, you know, approving key public sector appointments as well as government spending, uh, I think we want someone who is able to exercise independent judgment and also wise judgment at that. Secondly, you know, I, I think Singaporeans also want someone who can sustain the president's office as a symbol of national unity, uh, particularly when uh, the upcoming uh, presidential election mm-hmm. will be open to candidates from all races. That's right. Um, so I think these are two, you know, important criteria. All right. With the groundwork being laid out now, when do you think we will see the elections? Well, I think President Halima's term ends sometime in, in mid-September. You know, so the elections could either be held, um, you know, before her term is over, uh, you know, which is usually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also, under the law, it could also be held even after her term expires. You know, so what happens in between is that, you know, we have an acting president, um, you know. So so I think this September will be the month that I, I think we will see, um, you know, Singaporeans being engaged, uh, you know, in the electoral process. September it is. We'll be looking out for that if that happens. Thank you very much, Eugene. We've been speaking with Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law, Singapore Management University. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.